welcome to AZ Politicast. I'm Steve Goldstein. As I record this on Wednesday afternoon, the U.S. House of Representatives is still without a speaker, as Congressman Jim Jordan was rejected for a second time by enough of his Republican colleagues to send him back to the drawing board and probably lead to someone else attempting to win the post, maybe a compromise candidate, if such a person exists. Also, one Arizona U.S. Representative, Debbie Lesko, announced that for multiple reasons, she's had enough of Congress and won't run for a fourth term next year. That has already opened up the floodgates to speculation about which Republicans will attempt to win what is right now a very safe GOP seat. My guest is Jaime Malera of Malera Alvarez, and we'll talk about the dysfunction among Republicans in the U.S. House and what Arizonans may be losing with Debbie Lesko's upcoming retirement. That conversation on AZ Politicast is coming up in just a few seconds. Not that there wasn't any chaos leading up to former Speaker Kevin McCarthy being removed from his position, but since then, there's been so much back and forth. The House has not gotten anything done as it stands. You recently were in D.C. I just want to get your general observations about how this chaos in the House is affecting business getting done and and what your just general take on it is. There certainly is atrophy right now in the nation's capital. And it's interesting because the People that the Republicans have, uh, while they threw out Kevin McCarthy, they they uh, denied uh, Steve Scalise from taking the speakership. And now um, Jim Jordan is trying to get it. And they can't get a coalition of Republicans to come together and say, "Okay, this is this is our speaker who's and let's be honest, all of them are hardcore conservatives. They really are. And it's just amazing that the degree of vitriol within the Republican caucus is like, you know, they're, they're, they feel like they're voting on a, uh, they won't support him because it, it's almost like a, they're supporting Che Guevara. <laughs> I, just I just don't get it. it. It's amazing how the schisms within the Republican party ha- have, have now created a structure that they just can't do anything. They can't agree on basic things. Is it a, a question of not being able to govern or not really wanting to govern? Well, it's, it's almost a situation of if we don't get our way 100%, we're not going to agree to anything. And that's where the Freedom Caucus is right now, which is interesting because if you recall, one of the key members of the Freedom Caucus, of course, is our own Congressman Andy Biggs. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy Biggs, as you recall, was uh, Senate president here in Arizona, and he won that in a very contentious battle with uh, then-President Steve Pierce. He rallied the conservatives, said Steve wasn't uh, right enough. So, but what happened though, Steve, was that <laughs> even though the Republicans that supported Steve Pierce, they didn't want Andy Biggs, but the rules of their caucus was that, okay, once the majority says this is our person, we got to stick by them. And Biggs benefited from that because there was a lot of Republicans, I think, that would have even want to work with the Democrats to say, well, let's get somebody else because Biggs is not the guy. So now you fast forward to he's in Congress, he's part of the Freedom Caucus, and he's not getting what he wants. So he's saying, I don't care. It doesn't matter that literally 90% of our caucus wanted McCarthy uh, or whomever else they wanted. We're going to hold out until we get the person that we want. And now it's Jim Jordan, but now the other Republicans are saying, well, wait a minute, you guys denied us, so we're going to deny you. When you mentioned Biggs, obviously he's a big player there. Um, he like Crane the freshman. 
Paul Gosar, we know by the controversies he has mm-hmm. caused over the years. These districts are individual. But what does this say about Arizona's contingent of members of Congress? I mean, obviously on the on the left, we have Raul Grijalva as well, but it seems like the rest of the group at least somehow tries to do things that will benefit the state and not make too many headlines. Having these three in particular as members of Arizona's delegation, how much does that affect Arizona? No, it's interesting that I was having this conversation where um, years ago, Arizona had a congressional delegation, candidly, uh, that, in my opinion, punched way above their weight, Mm. right? We had not just like a uh, John McCain, of course, and the John Kyle, uh, but you had Ed Pastor that was considered to be the third con- uh, senator in Arizona. I mean, he was just very uh, effective in when it was what he was able to do. But you had Jim Colby, um, who's one of the architects of our uh, international trade in NAFTA. You had Bob Stump, uh, who was chairman of the Armed Services Committee. So you had just a number of individuals that were just incredibly effective, not just for their constituents in their congressional uh, areas, but for Arizona. And you had that sense that they were looking out for what is good for Arizona. You just don't see that now. I mean, unfortunately, I think you have some members do. I think there's some members that do a good job of really trying to reach out. Um, Juan Siscomani is kind of an up and comer. Um, uh, You know, Mayor, well, I say Congress, I always call him Mayor Stanton, but uh, Greg Stanton, the congressman, has got a good reputation. But unfortunately, you have a lot of others that just are so wrapped up in the, tribalism, if you will, of their political parties, that it just doesn't manifest into good policy for the state of Arizona. And one of the members that neither one of us mentioned is Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, who announced as of earlier this week that this will be it for her. She's not going to run for re-election. From the standpoint of knowing her as a state lawmaker and then as a member of Congress, are there any strengths, weaknesses that stand out about her performance? You know, she, she was good, very partisan, you know, very conservative. However, um, she was one of those that wanted to get things done. And, and anytime uh, I was part of a delegation that went to go meet with her on various issues, whether it was uh, environmental policy, um, whether it was, you know, uh, issues related to energy or transportation, you really did see a person that wanted to try and figure things out. Now, within the prism of her conservative principles, um, but she was really good about working and reaching across the aisle and saying, look, let's, or <laughs> reaching across their caucus. And nowadays, a lot of Republicans, when you say reaching across the aisle, they don't even reach across their own caucus. Um, <laughs> but she was really good about doing that. And I think uh, she is somebody that was surprisingly effective in her term uh, in Congress. This is the horse race part of the conversation, I may. We've already heard some names, obviously the failed Attorney General nominee Abe Hamaday right. for Blake Masters, who obviously lost the U.S. Senate race to Mark right. Kelly. Because this is an open seat and it's a very safe Republican seat, we would think that the gates are going to open. We're going to see all sorts of folks. But regardless of the names, is this a district? Is this a race that is going to test the idea of whether the Republican Party in Arizona continues to be more of the Donald Trump, Kerry Lake party or more of the practical conservative party? I, I think that's that's the big issue right there, because um, I would imagine that Carrie Lake is going to want to be the queen maker in that particular seat. Um, because if she anoints a person that's able to get that party nomination, then that's another ally in her bid, right, for the U.S. Senate. So I think she's going to be very aggressive in supporting uh, a candidate that fits within the Trump-Lake 
you know, um, universe. But if there are Republicans, and I'm just throwing out a name, I don't know if he's going to do it, but for instance, uh, Speaker of the House, Ben Toma, Mm -hmm. very strong conservative, strong fiscal conservative, I think would be a very good fit. A lot of folks have already thrown his name out as a a high-level candidate. If somebody like that were to win, then I think that creates a much different scenario for Republicans um, going forward. Um, and it's, it'll be interesting to see, but, but if, you know, you have uh, an Abe Hamadah that just is all about uh, election denial and supporting Kerry Lake and is part of that, then yeah, it's going to be, it's uh, the fissure within the Republican party is going to continue to grow. Is the party diverse enough at this point? And by diverse, I mean, you talk about reaching across the caucus. I mean, diverse, as I mentioned, traditional conservative, is there enough strength in that wing or part of the party to actually really make a dent, or is that going to have to happen only after more election losses, based on whether it's a Paul Gosar type or someone who's more practical? I, I think it absolutely does. And one of the things uh, that I've said repeatedly, you know, everybody's talking about how, and a lot of my Democrat uh, friends and <laughs> colleagues talk about Arizona being a purple state, and I just don't believe that, Steve. I think Arizona is still a very red conservative state. Because if you look at the elections that occurred, uh, let's go back a couple of years or last year to the uh, gubernatorial election, had another Republican candidate like uh, Karen Taylor, Karen Taylor Robeson uh, or a Matt Salmon had won that primary, then we wouldn't have a Democrat governor. Had uh, Bo Lane, for instance, won for the secretary of state's race, I-, I would argue, and I think even my Democrat friends would agree we'd have a secretary of state who's a Republican. Uh, had uh, a Don Grove won for, uh, for attorney general, then Chris Mays wouldn't be. So if you go down the list, elections matter. And, and I think that the extreme candidates that were essentially Trump supporters, like Lake and Fincham and uh, Hamada, just didn't resonate with a lot of Republicans that are just fed up with that. And I think that's going to continue to drive Republicans away. Um, so it might lead to more and more election defeats. But eventually, um, I think Republicans are going to have to figure out they have to put up candidates that can appeal and that can uh, keep the party together and continue to get um, the entire base out the vote, not just that Trump base. Do you think it's going to have to take more losses by those folks you mentioned, like the type, the Fincham types, the Lake types for the party to really decide that, okay, that's it, almost like the. 15 to 20 folks who are de- are at least at this point denying Jim Jordan the, the speakership of the U.S. House, where it's going to have right. to be a group of not even really traditional moderates in that sense, but folks who are just pragmatists, are there going to have to be two sons and we're going to have to just see the, the whole planet is changing or something? Because it seems like that sometimes. I, I think it's going to take more losses. I really do. And, and the reason I say that is because look at the United States Senate race. Here's an opportunity to, if a Republican should be salivating and thinking, okay, uh, Kirsten Sinema is uh, an independent, but she's very vulnerable. The Democrats do not like her. Here's a great chance to pick up this seat. And right now, no, what I would call fiscal conservative, strong Republican is coming out because Carrie Lake is announced. I mean, she may even drive Blake Masters, whom a lot of folks thought was going to be the candidate again, um, to maybe not run because of her strength within the Trump wing. Um, 
But that's telling though, Steve, that's very telling because you're not getting the kinds of candidates that in the past would say, absolutely, I would love to run for that seat. You know, there's a great opportunity to become a United States Senator and be a, a conservative Republican from Arizona, but you're just not getting them to run because they know that in a primary at, at, at this juncture in our state, it's very difficult to get elected because of the Trump wing and their ability to come out in force and you know have that it, it what I call it's minorities majority you know they, they had just enough to get them over the hump in a primary but not enough to carry them in the general election. I'm in Malera of Malera Alvarez. Jaime, thanks as always. Steve, as always, it's great talking to you. Thanks again to Jaime Malera for his insights on whether Arizonans are being well served by our current congressional delegation. To listen to previous editions of AZ Politicast, please search Apple Podcasts and Spotify. When you find AZ Politicast, please subscribe, rate, and review. To give me guest and topic suggestions, please send an email to azpoliticast at gmail.com. That's azpoliticast at gmail.com. Music for this podcast is from Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening to AZ Politicast. I'm Steve Goldstein.